Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you want to sign up for the premium channel? Now's the time. Using promo code BOX for 30 days, you get free premium content. To take advantage of that offer, you have to do it before October 5th. Go to theboxofoddities.com or the Himalaya app. Promo code BOX. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. You know, back when I was in school, I played on the baseball team, and... When I say played on the baseball team, what I mean is occasionally in the fifth fifth inning, they'd put me in as a pinch runner. Right. But regardless of how much I contributed to the team, before every game, I used to get this nervous, I got to go poop feeling. Mm -hmm. I have that right now because I just realized that we are three weeks away from our first show in our mini Halloween tour in San Francisco. San Francisco. San Francisco. Wow, I hadn't thought of it uh, in quite that way. Yeah. All th- right. Three weeks. Three weeks. You got the nervous poops? Not, I. well, I didn't. Now you do? Uh, no, I'm still good. But, okay, uh, all right. <laughs> but, you know, I I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I have irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> oh, so you have the nervous poops all the time. <laughs> I take fiber for it. I see. Maybe I should take some fiber. Um, so, yeah, three weeks less than three weeks we will be (laughs) in san francisco at Cobb's comedy nightclub kicking off our mini halloween tour tickets are still available uh to all the shows uh i think that the vips at Cobb's there might be one or two single tickets yeah Um, yeah they're just kind of loosey-goosey kicking around Uh, of course nashville we've mentioned before the vips are sold out and boston is dangerously close i think there might be two Left there. Oh, wow. I don't have any stats from Charlotte yet, but um, we are seriously just weeks out. So if you've been waiting, get your tickets, and we look forward to hanging out with you this Halloween season. Super jazzed. Wait, I'm not saying that anymore. I forgot. I'm very excited. <laughs> Cat's sensitive to that because I said that maybe we could uh, come up with a drinking game where every time that I said during instead of during, uh, we take a drink. And every time she said super jazzed, uh, we would take a drink. 
And now she's refusing to say super jazzed ever. So who goes first this time? <laughs> Wait, I got to tell people where they can get tickets. <laughs> oh, yeah. Theboxofoddities.com. And to answer your question, I go first. Oh, okay. The U.S. Mail Service has been around for you know pretty much as long as the country has been around. But did you know that parcel post delivery didn't start until January 1st, 1913? You couldn't mail packages. It was oh, just, just, just letters. letters. Just letters. What if they were really thick letters? Um, I don't know what the guidelines were exactly uh, in those days, but you could not mail packages. Okay, well, what if it was an envelope that was packed full to the size of, let's say, a package? I don't think that would work. All right, fine. No. I'm just saying there are ways around things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's what this topic is about, ways around Things. When they introduced uh, the American Parcel Post Service in 1913, farm families, they had made the rural free delivery um, a nationwide success. Rural, rural free delivery. It's a hard word. It's a rural, it's <laughs> rural free delivery. RFD. That's what that stands for. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. For a short period of time, I had an RFD mailing address. They're still out there. Yeah. But I didn't know that's what it stood for. Mm -hmm. So people who were benefiting from the RFD, uh, was, they were very anxious to have this new service. Because prior to 1913, farmers, when they had uh, goods to sell, mm -hmm. they had to take them to the nearest town that was large enough that had an express office. Okay. And it wasn't until trains really started becoming available everywhere that um, the parcel post service became uh, something that could be seriously considered. Now, what about ponies? Would they take parcels? Well, back in the day, you know, the, you mean like the Pony Express? Yeah. I don't know what the uh, what the shipping guidelines were. I think that if it fit in the saddlebag, it was okay. Oh, okay. That's just my guess. <laughs> Like if it was an actual pony, then it was only postcards. Yeah. But if it was a horse, then you could send like a, a real package. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The larger the pony, right. the larger the horse, the larger the, uh, I don't know. We got I'm, an elephant, I'm, so you can send furniture now. Yeah, but it takes forever to get there. Right. Speaking of which, I had to put a small child's table in the post the other day for my aunt in Arkansas. And do you know how much it costs? I do to because, send? because I paid for it. <laughs> well, I mean, we paid for it. Well, it was it's on my kind of yeah. our money. Well, right? it I is mean, it's our kind money. of something that we share now that but we've been married we, for four years. And we together absolutely for like share. We do. But okay. you put it on my card is what I mean. Uh -huh. by that. Because you've maxed yours all, all out with bonbons and Red Book magazine subscriptions. Okay. Yep. <laughs> anyway, it was three hundred fifty dollars. It was fucking it was nuts. It's way more than what the table is worth. That's amazing. But it's well, a, you don't know that. It's, it's a family fa heirloom. It's a family heirloom. Annie Hoosel, according to Ranker, the growth of parcel post service was phenomenal during the first six months. Approximately 300 million parcels were handled and <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say packages. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the introduction of collect on delivery services, COD. Um, Terrible idea. Yeah, well, that went into effect on July 1st, and that added to the popularity because you could just send shit and have people who got it pay for it. Right. It's the collect call of the mail industry. So it uh, the introduction of the parcel post created an immediate demand for special packaging suitable for mailing an array of various objects and commodities. Box manufacturers, the, the box manufacturing industry exploded. Mm, I bet. Producing all kinds of boxes capable of shipping everything from celery to butter, eggs. Eggs, by the way, a mainstay of the parcel post. Oh, really? The first time that they mailed eggs, somebody mailed six eggs by parcel post from St. Louis to Edwardville, Edwardsville, Illinois. Why? Because they wanted somebody to make them a cake, and then the person made them the cake and then mailed that back to them. That is amazing. Yeah, and this was, you know, 1913. This is incredible. I love this. Wait, what what year what month was it? Because in Illinois, it can get real hot in the summer months, That's and that true. buttercream's going to melt. Yeah. But it was really quite quite a fast service because they mailed the cake at 12.05 a.m. and it arrived at 7 p.m. the next day. Wow. That's not bad. There were very few regulations. So consequently, mm. people mailed some really weird shit. Here's a couple of examples that I found on Mental Floss. Weird shit that people mailed. Diseases. Yup. In a New York Times article, a Miss Daisy James from the New York uh, Post Office noted that dead birds and small animals were often sent to taxidermists throughout the country. Well, that's not a good idea. Um, she also handled various strains of smallpox, diphtheria, and scarlet fever that were being mailed by physicians to the National Health Board. Oh, sure. Well, that makes sense. One of the biggest things that was ever mailed was an entire bank building. Oh. The largest thing to ever be sent through the mail in 1916 was a building. This businessman, his name was William H. Calthorpe. He decided that he was going to build a, a bank on the corner of a street in Utah. Now, of course, you know, you're pretty difficult to mail an entire building. So what he did was he found out what the maximum amount um, of weight he could mail, mm -hmm. which was 50 pounds, and he boxed up individual bricks right up to the 50-pound mark and just mailed bricks, But 80,000 of them. But why? Because it was cheaper oh, that way. okay. He reasoned that uh, parcel post was the most inexpensive way to ship bricks for construction. So he did. He packaged these bricks up in separate crates weighing less than 50, uh, the 50-pound limit, about 40 crates were shipped each time, and each shipment total weighed, uh, weighed about a, a ton collectively. I bet he paid less to move that bank than we paid for that table. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, that's probably true. <laughs> but because of this scheme, uh, the U.S. Postal Service uh, put a rule in place saying you couldn't mail more than 200 pounds of goods a day. Oh, is that still in standing? Like, I, I don't think so. I don't think it so. It can't be. No, no. Uh, the reasoning behind that was, quote, according to the uh, United States Postal Museum, it is not the intent of the U.S. Postal Service that buildings be shipped through the mail. All right. Reasonable. Reasonable. Even more weird things 
than that were mailed. Things like coffins, dogs, even dead bodies. Mm. They used to just mail cadavers. Sure. But the strangest practice by far, mailing babies. Oh, no. Most people thought of it in terms of uh, it, it being just an economical alternative to train fare. It was far less expensive to mail your kid than it was to buy them a train uh, a train ticket. Now, but how do you pack up a <laughs> one of those? Lots of bubble wrap. Um, the first baby to be delivered in the mail was James Beagle. He was an eight month old, oh, just under eleven pounds. So he was under the original, uh, actually the original weight limit was 20 pounds, and then they upped it to 50, but this was back when it was 20. So he was well under that. The child was mailed to his grandparents, uh, who lived only a few miles away. So fortunately for James, it was not a really difficult uh, journey. It was Did they put him in a box? They did not put him in a box. No. No, no. Okay, well then how is he really posted? I mean... According to the Smithsonian, James cost uh, 15 cents in postage, a discount rate. (laughs) His parents, though, also insured him for uh, $50. But children were not wrapped up in boxes. They were more like um, companions. Okay, they just got to ride along. Yeah, more or less. In some cases, depending upon the distance in question, they merely kind of trotted along with the postman as he went on his route. Like in the case of uh, James Beagle, it was just a few miles. So the the postman just, hey, come here, sit up in my buggy, and uh, we're going to go on a mail delivery. And then when he got to the place, the grandparents' house, he just brought the toddler up with the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Left him on the porch. Yep. And the Geico ads. Yeah. Back then, the image of mailing a kid was thought as charming and quaint. Nobody had a problem with it. Sure. It wasn't seen as cruel. Well, no. I I think that a lot of people thought it was much more acceptable to just dump your children off with strangers. Yeah. As we've learned uh, over the years. There are no records, by the way, of any children that were mailed suffering any kind of mishaps. Okay. In transit. Or not reaching the uh, the desired recipient. Every kid was delivered promptly and on time and in good health. Well, that's great. But they outlawed the practice. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it really had to do more with possible legal ramifications down the line. Um, they thought, you know, we're opening ourselves up to issues here. Sure. Plus, if you're a mail delivery person... That doesn't necessarily mean that you've signed up to be a babysitter. During this time, they thought of the postal worker as almost like a nanny in some cases. What? Yeah. All right. But the reason they did this, of course, was was economics. Um, If you were a rich kid, you got to travel in a nice, big, fancy first-class train compartment. But if you were a working-class kid, that was not possible in many cases you just hitch a ride yeah so sending the kids by post was considered to be a sensible a sensible economic solution okay in some cases some deliveries even took place off the record many knew and trusted their small town mailmen Mm. and they would just ask them to, to escort their kid from point a to point b hey yeah well thanks for the sears and roebuck catalog and the geico ads 
Um, listen, Timmy needs to go to baseball practice, and it's way on the other side of town. Can you just put him on the back of your buggy and deliver him over there? That'd be great. So it's kind of like an Uber. It was very much like an Uber. Now, when I was a small person, I flew to Michigan, but I didn't have a parent go with me. Um, so they had what was called a... It's not concierge. It was the person that was supposed to like meet me at the gate and get me on the plane and make sure I was liaison, something like that. Yeah, Yeah. Mm. Um, that person didn't show up. (laughs) But um, I suppose that's not that much different. You know, putting your kid on a plane with a bunch of strangers, and I mean, you just get them where they gotta go. I guess those were different times. Sure. I saw the Super Mario Brothers movie in theaters while I was visiting Michigan. It's my very fondest memory of Michigan. The U.S. Postal Museum website says that in 1914, a four-year-old girl named Charlotte May Piersdorf was mailed. May's parents decided to send their daughter for a visit to her grandparents. But they were reluctant to, you know, pony up the train fare. And they noticed that the provisions in the parcel post regulations specifically concerning sending a person through the mail did not exist. So they decided to mail their daughter. It cost them 53 cents to mail their daughter a distance of about 50 miles to her grandmother's house. Wow. May's trip was widely publicized in newspapers, and it charmed the public so much that it inspired a legendary children's book called Mailing May. Oh, yeah. It was like, you know, like a little golden book for kids where moms and dads would pull their little children up into their lap and in a rocking chair and then open up the book and read them a story about how they can mail them to a distant location. That sounds like how my parents would have threatened me as a child. (laughs) She was accompanied on her trip by her mother's cousin, who actually was a clerk for the railway mail service. Okay. So she kind of sat with her in the mail car. Uh, She didn't have any fancy uh, uh, accommodations. She probably ended up sitting on a mail sack or something, but uh, they got her to her location just fine. The longest child postal journey Yes. Was uh, one Edna Neff of Pensacola, Florida. She was six years old. She was mailed to her father in Christiansburg, Virginia, about 720 miles away. But because of the distance and because it was hot, people started criticizing the practice with this particular child mailing. It ended up being a, a pretty big factor in them ultimately banning child mailing. <laughs> Making it illegal. Sure. For distances like that, you're going to end up changing mail carriers, right? And Sure. Well, I would think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're going to go to one post office so, and they're going to put you on a wagon to isn't another. Isn't that like just the worst idea ever? It does not make any sense. No. And again, those were different times, but still. Yeah. The practice of mailing kids was formally outlawed in 1915, so it was only like a couple of years that this was allowed to be done. But uh, even though that was the case, many kids were still being mailed right through about 1916, after the practice was supposed to be uh, uh, illegal. Mm. But by the end of that year, that that was it. I think that they had a kind of a grace period. They were like, yeah, okay, you mailed Timmy. 
Um, We told you not to, but maybe you didn't hear about that. So, sure. As a one time exception, Mm -hmm. I'm happy to to take care of this for you. You were such a great customer service (laughs) person. So you think those days are over? Well, not really. Um, in 1980, there was a guy named William DeLucia. Now, he caused a bit of a scandal when he packed himself in an airborne trunk along with food in an oxygen tank, as the U.S. Postal Museum describes it. Upon arriving at his um, destination, the post office, he climbed out, pilfered thousands of dollars worth of goods from the registered mail, and then sealed himself back up. And mailed himself to a different uh, location. Whoa. Yeah. That's a real Roberta situation. What was her name? Barbara. Barbara. Yeah, exactly. It's a real Barbara search situation. <laughs> That's really clever. <laughs> he was, uh, He was, however, arrested at the Atlanta airport. <laughs> As his trunk was being offloaded, uh, it popped open and he fell out on the runway. Oh, no. He was okay, but okay. Uh, yeah, it was clever right up until that point. Right, yeah. Where he, anyway, don't mail your kids. That's my advice to you. And now, that thing in the middle. Here's a list of some of the worst pop culture inspired cereals. Breakfast cereals. I miss the Mr. T cereal. That oh. was delicious. Mr. T. It wasn't even Mr. T cereal. It was just Mr. T. Number four. Batman Returns cereal. Uh, what? That's a sequel cereal. (laughs) Number three, C-3PO's. It was a Star Wars-themed cereal, obviously. 1984, it was pretty much just alphabets. Number two, Pro-Stars cereal. What is that? Pro-Stars was a Saturday morning cartoon that lasted for just under three months in 1991. (laughs) And yet somehow they got their own cereal. Uh, Featured the biggest athletes of all time, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, Bo Jackson. There's even a professional wrestler uh, whose name I don't remember, but he has like super uh, band hair. He looks like a testosterone-fueled lead singer to Whitesnake. Mm. And the number one really stupidest pop culture-inspired breakfast cereal... Urkel O's. Yes, now your breakfast can taste like Steve Urkel. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) 
rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money well i've got the podcast for you i'm sean piles and i host nerd wallets smart money podcast on our show we help listeners like you make the most of your finances i sit down with nerd wallets team of nerds personal finance experts in credit cards banking investing and more we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Box of Oddities. Your mileage may vary. Got a message from Jennifer, and uh, she said she uh, she had a weird experience. She wanted to... Share with us, uh, she woke up to go pee about 12 o'clock one night and saw that her phone was blinking. Still mostly asleep, she said, I checked to see, and I have a text from some random number with an attachment on it. I open up the attachment. It's a picture of an elderly gentleman who is dead in a casket. Oh. At this point, she says, I'm wide awake. <laughs> I wake up the hubs so he can be just as freaked out as I was. Sweetie. Someone texted me a photo of a corpse. <laughs> he didn't care much and went back to bed. Okay. I didn't text the number back only because I had no idea what to say. A quote, he looks great. <laughs> um, they did a wonderful job with his makeup. I never got another text from that number. However, 
I did save the picture for some reason that I don't even understand. Absolutely. It was it was from the same area code uh, here in Oklahoma. So I went through the last few days of obituaries to see if I could play match the dead guy in the picture. This is an excellent game. I approve. Unfortunately, I was unable to find a match. Oh, man. Jennifer, I think that's even creepier. You need to keep working at this and you need to send us that picture. Oh, yes, please. How's my hair look today, by the way? It looks really nice. I got it cut. It makes me makes me feel pretty. It it looks great and Do I look pretty though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What you got for me? Oh. Well, speaking of priceless art I, <laughs> and the fact that we are getting very close to our upcoming shows, I was learning a little bit about Boston. Okay. And I came across the story of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. This museum is an art museum in Boston. It houses significant examples of European, Asian, and American art. You know how I love museums. I can't get enough. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Its collection includes paintings, sculptures, tapestries, and decorative arts. It is also where an incredible heist took place. I know of this. I'm going to set the scene. It's all museum-y up inside this (laughs) building. And... A security guard is alerted to the fact that two police officers have come to the museum responding to a break-in call. Security guard Richard Abbott buzzed the guys in and was promptly placed under arrest. So, the two security guards, well, they are thinking, hey, these police officers are confused. Yeah. They believe that the arrest is real, but that the police officers, you know, just misunderstand what's going on. Right, right, right. However, Abbott quickly realized that one of the policemen's mustaches was made of wax. <laughs> he was a fake police officer. He sure was. Wow. And the second security guard uh, were bound. They were brought into the Gardner Museum's basement where they were informed that they were not actually under arrest, but in fact uh, being robbed. Mm. The Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum um, was originally Isabella Stewart Gardner's home, and it was built in 1903. She was an American art collector, a philanthropist, and a patron of the arts. Um, She was... Very seriously collecting art after she received a large inheritance from her father in 1891. And her purchase of Vermeer's The Concert at auction in Paris in 1892 was her first major acquisition. And I can't help, like, I'm going through this story and I'm learning a little bit about her. And I just can't help but think of, like, how exciting that moment must be. Like, this is your like first big purchase. Yeah. yeah. And maybe you've had some nice things here and there, but this is like your first masterpiece. Mm. This is this is a big deal. Anyway, I'm really excited for her. <laughs> so in 1894, Bernard Berenson offered his services in helping her acquire a Botticelli. So with his help, she became the first American to own a painting by the Renaissance master. Berenson helped acquire nearly 70 works of art for her collection. So the museum opens January 1st, 1903, showing off her collection, which this is her collection. It's not even like 
it was a established museum and people are lending these pieces of art. This is her stuff. And she, anyway, I'm just really excited for her. So they have this grand celebration featuring a performance by members of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. My. Yeah. And a menu that included champagne and donuts. <laughs> Which. That's my kind of party. Yes. This. <laughs> Dom Perignon and Krispy Kreme. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> so anyway, back to the heist. So the security guards are in the basement and the thieves proceed to remove priceless works from the museum's walls. They cut Rembrandt's The Storm of the Sea of Galilee and A Lady and a Gentleman in Black, as well as Vermeer's The Concert, which was her first major purchase, which is terrible. Anyway. They just cut them out of the frame. They just cut them out of the frames. Mm. They also snatched a Chinese bronze vessel from the Shang Dynasty. It's 1990. Did I not say that? I don't recall. I mean, it was a large jump in time and probably (laughs) something I should have mentioned. (laughs) Though, considering the fake cop's mustache was made of wax, really that sounds kind of keystone copy, doesn't it? It's very distracting. Right. (laughs) In addition, they snatched five Degas drawings. Uh, They also tried to unscrew a Napoleonic flag from the wall, but they weren't able to get the whole thing from the wall, so they just took the finial that was on the top. Really? Uh, It looked like an eagle, uh, which to me seems kind of goofy. That's dickish. Oh, we'll just take this down. Mine. So anyway, uh, police didn't arrive to... Uh, investigate and release the guards until 8.15 the next morning. And it was only then that the the police and the security guards understood the full scope of what had happened. The uh, thieves were in the building for 81 minutes. So did they, do you know, did they disable any alarm systems or did they have the security guards disable the alarm systems when they got in or were there no alarm systems? Like on the individual paintings? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Because now Um, if you get too close to them. Right. You know. I don't know. Maybe that's why they were cutting out of the frames Hmm. rather than taking the frames of certain pieces. I'm not sure. Um, I do know that in those 81 minutes, they stole about $500 million worth of art. Holy crap. That's amazing. And that was in 1990 prices, right? That's right. Yeah. So according to the FBI, the stolen artwork was moved through the region and offered for sale in Philadelphia during the early 2000s. Uh, They believed that the thieves were members of a criminal organization based in the Mid-Atlantic and the New England area. Uh, But they didn't think that they were primarily art thieves, Hmm. that maybe they were into crimes in general, but weren't really art people. And uh, for starters, it was because they think they didn't know a lot about the art that they were stealing. Okay, interesting. The museum's most expensive piece uh, was untouched. Hmm. Um, And there were more valuable pieces that they just didn't take. But they took the top of the flagpole. Exactly. Okay. The museum's most expensive piece, by the way, was a work by Titan, in case you're curious. All right. So over the years, there have been 
no shortage of rumors about the whereabouts of the art. And one theory, as I said, had put that art on the market, uh, let's say, like in the Philadelphia area in the early 2000s. Another said that it had been all moved to Ireland and it was in the hands of the Irish Republican Army. Really? But the FBI actually claims to have solved the case. In 2013, they said they had figured out who the thieves were, uh, though they never released the names since the statute of limitations had passed. But since the artwork wasn't recovered, uh, they are hoping that those who are still alive who were involved will eventually cooperate. I don't know if I buy that. Yeah, we know who it is. I'm not going to tell you, but we know who it is. Well, there have been a lot of rumors. Uh, Whitey Bulger comes up. Oh, Bulger? Really? Yeah, the mafia guy yeah. from Boston. Yeah. Is it Bulger or Bulger? Bul- I do love I Bulger wheat. So am uh, I confused because of the delicious grain? Bulger, I think. Bulger? I don't know. I think you're right. That's I think it's the Bulger. first thing that, that springs from my lips. Everyone from Boston is going to be so angry with me right now. We love you, I Boston. I think it's Bulger. Whitey. Whitey. Anyway, so mm-hmm. that name's been thrown around, and and the the idea is that it might actually have been a mob related theft, um, which is why yay we're into stealing, but boo we really don't know that much about art, and we're just gonna kind of smash and grab. How about this? Wouldn't it be cool if the thieves were actually the security guards? And that the fake police officers never existed. Ooh, what a twist. What a twist, right? And they just kind of cut the stuff out, rolled it up, and then stuffed it like behind the paper towel rack in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And waited for a later time to escape with it. Right, and then just tied themselves up in the basement. Richard Abbott, you (laughs) sneaky little bitch. Anyway, uh, last year, the museum extended a $10 million reward for information that might lead to the recovery of the art. And so far, no one who they think might have been involved has said anything. Mm. Everyone's real tight-lipped. Like, well, no. 30 no. years. 30 years. 30 freaking years. Crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. Until that time, uh, and this is how... Uh, This is one of the reasons that I really want to go to the museum, besides the fact that, obviously, there's amazing stuff there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a really cool building. It looks like it is designed to emulate a uh, 15th century Venetian palace. I mean, it's beautiful. It's a gorgeous building. It's got a gorgeous... Rotunda? Middle middle garden space. Carport? It starts with a C. Middle gardens. Courtyard! Courtyard. It's got a gorgeous courtyard. Uh, and um, thank you for saying carport. I think that really got me there. Oh, no problem. Um, anyway, so it's it's amazing and gorgeous and beautiful and so many reasons to want to go. But also, they haven't taken down the empty frames. I read that somewhere, and I think that's kind of cool that, they, that they've done that. But I really need to know where that art is. I understand. I need to know. And... That's a pretty limited market. Are they still just sitting on it? Right. If, in fact, they did at some point, like in the early 2000s, offer it for sale mm-hmm. on the black market in the Philadelphia area, they sat on it for 10 years. Yeah. Are they still sitting on it? Or did they find a buyer? And if they did, 
Is it just in like some guy's basement rolled up in one of those mailing tubes or is does he have like a secret room right. where he's displaying all of his stolen art that he never lets anybody in and only he can enjoy it? What a douche. Is it on the ceiling of his RV that he uses only to get away <laughs> when the cops get too close to his underground accounting schemes? I love that movie. I do too. Well, Ben Affleck's from Boston. Oh, hey. What? Oh, oh, the circle of life. We've, we've solved it. Probably Ben Affleck had something to do with it. <laughs> Not in the robbery, but maybe he bought it. And it's in his RV. Anyway, watch The Accountant. That's fun. Anyway, that's the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum theft. So when we go to do our live show in Boston on the 27th of October, we should make a a pilgrimage there. Absolutely. Let's do that. I would love, love, love it. Tickets to the Boston show and all the other shows are available on theboxofoddities.com. Please come hang out with us. Yeah, come hang out with us. We would love to see you. Also, we just ordered $1,500 in merchandise. Please come buy our shirts. (laughs) I am so scared about that. (laughs) Again, I've got nervous poops. The Box of Oddities. We'll see you again on Monday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2019 All rights reserved If you like this podcast Can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.